Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And in the honor of reading God's word and turn to Matthew 18, please. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them, and saying, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame and with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the, than the one, or excuse me, if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by, the Father, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in the anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, let your name be regarded holy among us this morning, not only in our word, in our deeds, but also in our minds and our hearts. Thank you for this passage that will teach us on how church discipline is to be orchestrated and that this is the means by which you go and seek that one lost sheep, Lord. We thank you so much for your truth, for delivering it to us. May we handle it according to your word, as according to your desire. May you be exalted in the sermon this morning. Help Pastor Tim, excuse me, help Pastor Tim as he preaches from your word. May it go out and have its effect in our hearts as you please. For Christ's sake, amen. morning. This is going to be the second in a series of two lessons on conflict resolution. And so if you, were, if you weren't here last week, go listen to the podcast of last week's sermon because what we're going to be, do, be doing this week is going to be uh, going in tandem with that. And so um, some of the things that we talked about last week, just in terms of a recap, is we we addressed the passage of James 4, and that was the passage that we uh, discussed in our small groups today. And so uh, one of the, some of the main things that we were trying to emphasize in thinking through James 4 is that conflict, you know, it may be a natural uh, part of life, but that doesn't make it a necessary part of life, and that it takes two people to have conflict. So uh, really, if you think about what's happening when we have conflict with other people, whether that's at in a work environment, whether that's in a home environment, marriage environment, uh, parent-child relationship, uh, just uh, in terms of just ourself with our surroundings, the government, uh, wh whatever environment we're thinking of, what's really happening when we have conflict is you have two people who, um, to use Robert Jones' definition of anger, want what they want when they want it, right? So when you have two people who want what they want when they want it, conflict is a natural result of that. And so uh, what we did was we talked about James 4 last week, and we gave sort of a pseudo-topical, pseudo-expositional look at James 4. And we're doing the same thing I mean, this week for sake of truth and advertising. We're going to be um, 
doing a bit of a topical approach to Matthew 18. And what that means is that um, I'm going to be talking about how the whole Bible speaks to uh, some of the verses we see here in Matthew 18 in particular. If your brother sins, we're going to try to answer analyze that from every angle we can possibly analyze it and think through how the whole Bible speaks about what to do uh, if your brother sins. And so really um, what we're going to be doing this week is we're going to be talking about the confrontation end of things. And so last week, if you think about what we did, uh, last week we, we tried to lay a bit of a foundation for dealing with conflict. Uh, what it, Some of the things we're, we're saying is that it ta- obviously it takes two people to have conflict and when we have conflict, we need to be thinking, what do I want in this moment? What do I want so bad that I'm not getting, that I'm willing to sin to get? And, and in that moment, we, we all believe in a sovereign God who's more than able to give us the things that we truly need. And so in some sense, instead of getting angry, we should be asking God for things more. Uh, so asking God confidently, knowing that he's able to do what, uh, he's able to give us what we need. And uh, he's not... Uh, in surprise about what we need. And so many times we said last week, we fight over good things, but God's more than able to give us those good things. And uh, really he desires our growth more than anything else. And, and so he, he desires our growth more than just giving us what we want. And so what we're going to be doing this week, uh, we, we've looked at it from our own personal end. Uh, so we've said that no matter what happens, we don't have to go the route of conflict. I mean, we can uh, be characterized by the fruit of, of the spirits in our own lives, but then what what do we do when our brother sins against us? And so that's the other half of things. So we're not at, at that point. Um, if you're in a situation where your brother is sinning against you, uh, obviously you want to get the log out of your own eye first. That's what James four is. And now we're going to talk about how do how do you go behind that after you've got assuming you know you've gotten the log out of your own eye. How do you go forward and help your brother get the speck out of their own eye? So. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about Matthew 18. And so uh, there's a little bit of a mix-up on your handout. I put all, I filled in all the blanks on the first page for you on accident. I, I think I sent the wrong thing in. So uh, don't space out during the first page, you know. Uh, they, they, they may already be filled out, but uh, we'll talk through each one of them. And then when you get on the second half of, or when you flip it over on the other side, once we get there, then I uh, have something to fill in there. But that's a bit of a mix-up on my end. Um, but one of the things that's true as you think about um, the subject of conflict resolution in general, we, we have to understand that we, le- we, live in a very, um, we live in a very sensitive society. And so uh, one of the worst things that you can possibly do in the sort of society that we live in is to uh, do something that a person finds personally offensive. And so as Christians, we see that we, we see this... Um, demand for sensitivity that is put on us from all sides. And so one of the things that you see just in looking at the news, if you just watch the news, one of the things that you see is that we're in such a state as a country uh, at, at this point in history that if you were to tell a boy who feels like he's a girl inside that he's not a girl, that he's a boy, that he, we're at a place now where that just saying that, just communicating that God made you a boy he didn't make you a girl. Uh, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Just saying that is considered an offensive thing. And if you say that sort of thing, then what's going to happen is you're going to have someone immediately come along uh, and, and tell you that you're insensitive and that you're rude and that you uh, you need to apologize and that you need to uh, ask forgiveness. And so in many ways, as you just think about the landscape of uh, the place we're living in in this point in history, um, 
there's something wrong with the sort of society that would take offense at just taking saying basic things. And so, uh, in some ways, that you know, as Christians, we can look at that and we can say, well, that's absurd. You know, I mean, that is absurd to to think that that would be an offensive statement to say something like that. That's just uh, that's just Christianity 101. That's just Bible 101. That's just creation 101. Uh, but then, uh, you know, as, as you try to interact in that sort of society, what often happens is, uh, what you have to realize is that oftentimes we, we, we have still, as a church, we've accepted the basic uh, demand that anytime we feel offended or anytime that we feel um, that someone has done something that we consider rude, we feel like this impulse inside of us that rises up that we have to confront this and that, that we have to be restored. And, and really, one of the things to realize as we read the scriptures is the Bible says it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And so in this society that we live in, we really have no, uh, uh, we have really very little ability, I, I don't want to speak too hyperbolically, but we have very little ability in this sort of society to overlook simple and minor offenses and to not take things personally. And so one of the things that we want to do as you walk through Matthew um, 18 in general is you want to talk about the basics of confrontation, uh, and then you want to talk about a different uh, perspective on when to confront, and so first thing we'll be talking about is how confrontation should be a part of the daily Christian life, but then you want to talk through what that's going to look like, so uh, why do we confront, who do we confront, what do we confront, and how do we do so in a way that is helpful and that uh, is edifying, and so we're going to be talking about all those things as we go through this passage, and we're particularly going to focus on Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20, we'll, we'll kind of nail ourselves down there, but then we're going to uh, where it's appropriate, talk through the context of the whole chapter and how that relates to where we're at. And so that's just sort of a broad summary of what we're going to do today. Uh, but the first thing you want to talk about is that you want to talk about the fact that confrontation should be a daily part of the Christian life. Now, that may be a bit of an overstatement, but not much, okay? It may sound like a bit of an overstatement, but I, I don't think it's uh, much of an overstatement. And so um, one of the things that we... We, we need to be aware of is that when we live in a fallen world, uh, you know, if you put, I mean, unless you're just sort of uh, by yourself all the time and you spend time only with yourself, uh, then you don't, uh, if, if you're in that sort of situation, then saying confrontation should be a part of a daily Christian life, well, that maybe not, we're not talking about you. Uh, but in general, if you're living around people in close proximity with other people, uh, one of the things that come very natural is that we sin against each other in many different ways. So we sin against each other in terms of our thoughts, in terms of our actions, in terms of our attitudes. And so um, it's just you put two sinful people on a roof together, you, you should expect that we would sin against each other. But then you put more people under the same roof in close proximity and you get more and more sin. And so having a good way of dealing with sin uh, and conflict resolution is essential to living a, a life of reconciliation. And so we... Uh, confrontation should be, in this respect, one, uh, a part of the daily Christian life. And you see this uh, when you go through Matthew 18. And so um, you have this passage, uh, Matthew uh, 18, 15 through 20, which we commonly know as the church discipline passage. And then immediately after that, what you see is Peter has a question in response to this passage, which we've uh, categorized as the church discipline passage. So Peter has a question immediately follows. Uh, he says, um, 
It says in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as uh, seven times? Now, when you read that same passage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke gives an elaboration on that. And Peter's, uh, the full question is, how often should I, um, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times a day, right? Uh, and so what's in Peter's mind in this situation is, like, if you're, Jesus, if you're telling us that we need to be confronting our brothers when they sin against us, how often should I do it? Up to seven times a day? And no doubt he thinks that that's a very generous uh, you know, amount of times that you forgive. So, I mean, obviously, you forgive someone if they sin. Uh, you want to seek restoration. Uh, if you're thinking in terms of the larger context, you're talking about a wandering sheep who's straying. And so, uh, the Father wants to uh, restore wandering sheep. So, we should be wanting to restore wandering sheep as well. Or, well, you don't use the plural there. Uh, wandering sheep as well. Uh, but, um, so we ought to be about the business of reconciliation. But what's a good amount, Jesus? Is seven times a good amount? And so you look at uh, seven times a day even, right? Um, in, in the example there, I mean, just to give you an example of something going on in Peter's mind, um, imagine that I were, you know, in my driveway, my car's out in my driveway, and I'm looking out my window, and uh, Kevin has a crazy look on his face, and he's uh, walking towards my car with a knife, uh, and he goes up to my car and he pops the tire. Uh, and I'm a little confused by the whole thing. Uh, but then after, after he pops the tire, I go out there and I ask him, Kevin, what were you doing? You know, why did you do that? And he, and he uh, responds to me by saying, well, Tim, I'm, I'm, I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It was wrong for me to damage your property in that way. Will you forgive me? And I say, yes, well, of course, obviously I will. I that was weird. Uh, I don't know why you would do that. Uh, but okay, uh, so I forgive him. I forgive him once, right? But let's say that I go to Walmart, I get the tires changed, I come back, and all of a sudden, Kevin comes out with a knife again. Uh, same thing, right? Uh, you know, same thing. He comes out with a knife and stabs the tires one more time, and, uh, you know, and I come out there, hey, we've already done this, right? Uh, we just did this uh, a few minutes ago. Um, what's going on, man? <laughs> uh, and he were to say, well, Tim, I, I don't know what happened. I'm crazy. I, you know, if, he, if he's trying to apply the last uh, week's lessons, he, he's going to say, uh, I have a sinful heart that keeps wanting to express itself and damaging your tires for some reason. Uh, will you forgive me? And so then at that point I say, yes. And so, but then, I mean, if you, uh, God tells me to, so I have to. Uh, no, uh, but then that, I mean, if you think about that sort of situation, I mean, Peter's question sounds really kind of strange, but then if you think about that sort of situation, then, I mean, should I forgive? How many times do I forgive him, Lord? He just stabbed my tire once. Should I forgive him up to seven times? And, and what's shocking about Jesus' answer is, no, it's not seven. It's uh, 70 times seven, in other words. Not 490, but, uh, you know, there's no end. It's just uh, you, you keep on forgiving, right? Because our Heavenly Father has forgiven us so much. And so, in some sense, when you, when you read, the point is this, um, that's just a long way of trying to say that when you think about uh, the responsibility to confront and to be restored, 
I mean, this is really just a natural and normal part of the daily Christian life. How many times should we forgive? Up to seven times? No. Uh, up to seven times a day? No. Up to 70, uh, uh, 490, I guess, if you take it <laughs> literally uh, in that way. But uh, so confrontation should be really part of the daily Christian life. And really, when you think about this passage, we think about it primarily as a church discipline passage. And so what we think primarily is that as you read Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20, I mean, I think really when you talk about Matthew 18, you talk about confrontation, people immediately go to the third step of church discipline. But really, I mean, the whole context of what's happening here, we're not supposed to just jump to the third step. I mean, 99% of church discipline should be uh, personal confrontation one-on-one with our brothers and sisters who sin against us in a daily way. And so, uh, I mean, I think we, we all need to cultivate and develop patterns of uh, Daily confrontation and forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, I mean, I, I know that um, it's, it's wise to not, the Bible says don't go to sleep on your anger. And so instead of going to sleep on your anger, thinking through, is there anything I did to you today that, uh, is there any ways I sinned against you? And how can we make that right? And how can we reconcile? And so this should be a natural and normal part of what we do as Christians. It shouldn't just be something that happens when, uh, in some big moment uh, where, um, you know, every once in a while when things get really serious. No, we should develop in patterns of confronting early and quickly and being reconciled and restored early and quickly so that no root of bitterness grows up inside our hearts. And so uh, as we're thinking through confrontation, we're talking about something that should be just a natural and normal part of being a Christian, being a peacemaker in that way. So uh, thinking through that long introduction, uh, we're going to be talking through now the, the basics of confrontation. So what we want to do is we're going to start out by asking, why do we confront? Well, uh, why do we confront? First of all, because it's our duty. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, in some sense, uh, you know, you say because it's our duty. I know that that word is, has um, a lot of negative connotations as you think about the life of the church, uh, doing anything out of duty. We don't do things out of duty. We do things out of delight. And I think there's some truth to what people are emphasizing when they say those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, if God commands something, it's not optional, right? I mean, if God commands something, it's not optional. Uh, and so obviously, we don't want to obey God in a robotic way uh, that uh, just says, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to uh, do it kicking and screaming, so to speak. Or so the, the example there is of the child who uh, you tell them to sit down in the chair and uh, they sit down, but then they say to you, I may be sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, obviously we shouldn't obey God in that sort of way. Uh, but I mean, I think there is something to s uh, be said about reclaiming this word duty. I mean, there is something honorable about doing uh, the right thing because it's the right thing and because um, God commands it. And so I think we, we want to say, why do we confront? Well, when we're talking about the whole subject of confrontation in general, we're not talking about something that's optional, that uh, you just take it or leave it. Or uh, it's just, you know, if you want to be the, one of those confronting Christian, therefore you're a legalistic Christian or you're a Pharisaical Christian. No, I'm just a, you know, obedient Christian. And I shouldn't have to add the adjective obedient for that to make sense, right? I mean, the terms obedient and Christian should be synonymous. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, says Christ, right? So we're just talking about basic Christianity is obeying the Lord and doing what he says. And, and with the knowledge that what he says is right. And so, uh, first of all, why do we confront? Well, we confront because it's our duty. Secondly, why do we confront? 
Well, we confront because of love. And so if you think about the whole illustration that happens here, right before the Matthew 18, 15 passage, you have this, um, well, you can just start. I'll start with the beginning of Matthew 18. Uh, there's this dispute that happens among the disciples about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so you have a bunch of uh, uh, childish, they're actually a- acting like children, trying to determine who's better than, uh, you know, who's the greatest in the group here. And so uh, it's, it's sort of like the my dad can beat up your dad kind of discussion <laughs> is happening here or something along those lines. Uh, um but um, they have this discussion, and, and Jesus says the greatest among you is the most humble. And so that, I mean, if you think about before you even get to confrontation, you, you have to have humble people in order to confront well. And that's what you're talking about in James 4. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, so you shouldn't be confronting out of pride. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the answer, who is the, most hum- who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, is the, is the humble person. And so here you are arguing and fighting over who's the greatest when really what you should be concerned about is helping each other keep from sin, not uh, facilitating a conversation where you provoke each other to sin. And so you do whatever you can as a Christian who loves your brother to uh, not tempt each other to sin, but to keep from sinning. And so that's where you see that next section about temptations to sin. Uh, And so if you really loved each other, you wouldn't really be arguing over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You'd be trying to help each other grow uh, in your sanctification. And if any of you wander from the truth, verse 10 to 14, then uh, know that it's my Father's will that none of you be lost, right? And so uh, if you see a sheep wandering, you seek to restore that sheep to the fold, right? So instead of arguing over who's the greatest, you should be pursuing humility, uh, seeking out the good of your brothers and sisters. And so if you see a wandering sheep, you want to restore the wandering sheep. And so when we're talking about church discipline, we're not talking about something that's harsh or judgmental or hateful or rude. We're talking about a sheep who is wandering from the, uh, the sheep fold at that point. And what is the most loving thing to do? The most loving thing to do is not to leave the sheep isolated by itself, right? I mean, and so oftentimes when you think about the metaphor that's being used there is an agricultural metaphor of uh, just uh, thinking in terms of um, if you just think about sheep, I mean, uh, <laughs> sheep don't even know how to feed themselves, right? <laughs> and so we're talking about very helpless creatures. And when they're separated by themselves, they're uh, prime targets for wolves and, uh, you know, they can fall into a pit and have no one there to help them out, right? Because, uh, and so when you're thinking about why do we, why do we confront people, uh, we're trying to rescue our fellow brothers and sisters from themselves. And so it's an act of love. So first of all, why do we confront? We confront because it's our duty. Second, it's because we love each other. And we know that um, sin is, you know, the way of the transgressor is hard, as the Bible says. The way of the transgressor is hard. The sin may be pleasurable for a season, but ultimately it results in death and destruction. And so we want to help our brothers and sisters uh, to live the good life. And the good life involves um, serving the Lord. And so his ways are right. His paths are the paths of righteousness in that way. So we confront because it's our duty. We confront out of love. Uh, We confront because of our desire for reconciliation. And so uh, oftentimes when you think about just confronting someone, um, you know, it's seen as a hateful act, a judgmental act, a selfish-centered act. You know, when you confront someone, they may say something along the lines of, well, you're not perfect either. You know, it's seen as sort of a, you're a, you're a hypocrite who's coming and talking to me about something. Get rid of, get, uh, 
take care of your own issues, right? Well, uh, the reason why we confront people is because we love them and we desire to be reconciled with them, right? So this isn't, uh, you know, when we confront, we're not just uh, me telling you off and telling you all the things you did against me just so you can know, so that you, you know how you offended me and how you hurt me and how, and I just want you to, you know, kind of rub your nose in all of it. That's not the reason why we confront. We confront because we have a desire for reconciliation. So notice what Matthew 18, 15 says. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he has listened to you, you have gained your brother. What does that mean? It means your desire there is not to lose a brother and tell him, and tell him off, you know, in, in a super spiritual sort of way. Uh, the, the desire there is that I want to gain a brother. I want my, our relationship is broken at this point, and I want it to be restored. Uh, and I love you enough to restore that reconcil- uh, restore that relationship because you know what? The easiest thing to do in this sort of situation is just to ignore you and not talk to you anymore and just pretend like you don't exist. Uh, that may be the easiest thing to do, but that's not the loving thing to do. Uh, the loving thing to do is to keep on going after people, right? Uh, and keep on seeking to be restored with them. So we confront out of a desire for reconciliation. Finally, we desire uh, we confront out of a desire for a pure church. So Matthew eighteen seventeen. If you refuse, basically, you have three steps of church discipline. Um, you have the original confrontation, and then you have um, which should be a daily part of our Christian life. Ninety nine percent of church discipline should shouldn't go past that point. Uh, so uh, you have the original first step, then you bring two or three witnesses so that every fact may be confirmed. Uh, and then finally, you uh, tell it to the church. And uh, the result of that, um, telling it to the church is uh, this person, let, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. And so uh, ultimately, we desire a pure church, right? So um, it's a shame that people say the ch- things like the church is full of hypocrites. I mean, it's a shame that people say things like that. And uh, sadly, I mean, maybe part of the reason why they're saying things like that is because we're not very good at, uh, at reconciling, and we're not really good at confronting sin often as much as we should, and, and in the ways that we should, and we, we often don't deal with problems as we should, and the result of that is that you have, uh, unfortunately, many churches who are full of gossip and full of slander, and then when you know, things that actually should be confronted, we don't confront, and we confront all the wrong things, and so ultimately, the reason why we're we're even doing any of this is because we want a pure church. We want a church that honors the Lord in all of its ways. And so that's what we're talking about. And so far from being a hateful thing, it's actually a loving thing to God and neighbor and uh, church. So um, why do we confront? So duty out of love, desire for reconciliation, and a desire for a pure church. Now, who do we confront? Well, Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20, uh, beginning of 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. And so one of the things to realize is when you're talking about biblical confrontation, we're primarily talking about who do we confront? We confront fellow believers. And specifically, I mean, the burden is, uh, if you just think in terms of, you know, levels of priority, we're all members of, char- I mean, everyone here is a member of Charity Cherokee Baptist Church. We're ultimately uh, responsible to confront primarily those people amongst our immediate family and then those people are part of our church body. That's the uh, burden that God has placed upon us. And so uh, we we can't do everything about all the sin in the world. We're not specifically commanded to confront all the sin that's in the world uh, everywhere. If we want to get, if you want to go down that path, th- there's no end to it, right? I mean, uh, just don't get on the internet <laughs> or you're going to 
feel a burden to uh, uh, that uh, never ends. If you if you if you feel like the uh, burden is to confront uh, every every sin everywhere all the time, in every case. But what does Matthew eighteen fifteen says? It says if your brother sins, uh, go tell him his fault. And so. God has providentially placed us amongst families and in a church uh, so that we can uh, be our brother's keeper, right? right? So when Cain asked the question of the Lord, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? The, ob- the implied answer is, yes, Cain, you're your brother's keeper. Uh, that's why I put you around your brother. That's why I put you in that family with your brother so that you could be your brother's keeper, not your brother's murderer, right? So uh, who to confront? If your brother sins, confront him. So... Um, in this way, uh, confrontation is specifically for fellow church members. And so uh, all those who bear the name of Christ who are part of a local fellowship need help in dealing with their sin. As a result, we are to confront members of our church who sin. Um, uh, you know, as it's already been said, this ideally should be a regular occurrence in which we respond positively to the confrontation. It should be a normal, natural part of our daily life. Now, um, so we've dealt with, um, you know, why do we confront and given some various reasons. We've talked through who to confront. Primarily, we're responsible to confront our brother's uh, sin. Uh, that doesn't mean it's wrong to confront the sin of the world. It just means it's not a command. It's not an obligation that we should feel. So we, need, we ought to do what's commanded first before we do anything that's optional at that point. And so a uh, third thing we want to deal with is what to confront. So uh, Matthew 18 Uh, 15 through 20, the text says, if your brother sins, uh, go tell him his fault between uh, you and him alone. So uh, as you look through the passage, specifically the things we're we're commanded to confront are sins. Now, uh, it's it's important at this point to make certain distinctions. And so what I wanted to do in the lesson today is first start out by talking about things that were not commanded to confront. And so uh, we're obviously commanded to confront sin, but what are some things that we're not commanded to confront? Well, first of all, we're not commanded to confront preference issues. So let me see if I can give you an example, uh, some examples of preference issues. So uh, here's some examples. Um, For instance, let's say that your spouse um, takes the toilet paper and uh, doesn't put it in the right direction. And so toilet paper going under instead of over, or maybe it's over instead of under. Uh, who knows? Um, one of the things that you, we should all be relieved about is that we have no moral responsibility to confront that, uh, that breach of uh, toilet paper etiquette, okay? Uh, we have no moral responsibility to confront that because it's a preference issue. There's nothing in the Bible that tells me what way to put the toilet paper. Uh, you know, there may be things that I think are reasonable and logical about which way it needs to go, but the the Bible doesn't speak to it, so I have no moral responsibility to confront that issue. Similarly, uh, we have no moral responsibility to confront choices of food or entertainment. I mean, unless uh, being involved in a specific form of in- entertainment necessarily causes me to sin, there's no real moral reason to confront um, Let's say your husband and your wife wants to watch a romantic comedy. It's not a confrontation sort of issue, right? Uh, nothing sinful has happened there. Uh, similarly, where to squeeze the toothpa- toothpaste, right? Just a preference issue. How we desire to be treated, also just a preference issue, right? I mean, uh, in general, unless we're talking about specific commands of Scripture, 
uh, it really, I mean, if, if you feel mistreated or whatever else, for the most part, most of the reasons why we feel mistreated are preference issues. Things that communicate love to us. So Gary Chapman has an entire book on love languages, which uh, talk about all the ways in which we desire to be treated. Uh, well, most of those things are preference issues. You understand you don't have a moral obligation to confront uh, those things. Similarly, musical taste, uh, go on and on and on about different examples of preference issues, things that we're not commanded to confront. Um, now, what does the Bible say? Romans twelve ten. be devoted to one another in bro- brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. And so instead of me demanding that you treat me the way I want you to treat me, and instead of me demanding that you uh, bow down and worship and serve my preferences, I'm going to try to meet, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to uh, honor and serve you by fulfilling your preferences. And so uh, if, if, you're, if I'm in a situation where you're not giving me what I prefer for you to give me, I don't have to confront you, right? In, in fact, I should be the bigger person in seeking to fulfill your preferences instead of the other way around. What does Luke 9.23 said, say? Uh, Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after him, or come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. What does that mean? That means I need to die to my preferences. That's what that means. That means Christianity 101 means that uh, my it's not my kingdom come and my will be done. It's God's kingdom come, his will be done. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. In other words, it doesn't demand that you... Uh, uh, fulfill all my preference issues, right? It doesn't insist in its own way. Uh, it is not irritable or resentful, the text says. And so uh, we're not commanded, the point is we're not commanded to confront preference issues. Uh, we're, we're, you know, believe it or not, we're not even commanded to confront wisdom issues. And so if you think about uh, what is a wisdom issue, well, wisdom issue is not, uh, is an issue that's not clearly a sin issue, and so there's no uh, specific moral infla- infraction that's taking place scripturally. Uh, but then it's also not quite a preference issue. And so uh, it's somewhere in between like a, just a personal preference for how you do the toilet paper and then, uh, for instance, and then um, a sin issue. And so somewhere in between. And so the types of issues that fall underneath wisdom issue or wisdom issue um, categories are just think in terms of parenting strategies. I mean, there's, there's very few specifics on how to parent in the Bible and a lot of wisdom that needs to, be hap- uh, needs to happen. Similarly, with financial decisions, there's a few specifics in the Bible about uh, uh, how to make financial decisions, and there's a lot of freedom there. Career choices, church choices, uh, strategy for being ready to go to church on time. <laughs> That's a wisdom issue, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a, you know, you can't go to a chapter and verse and say, that says... Uh, uh, you need to get up at um, this specific time. I put all those kind of things in Third Timothy, but uh, that's just me uh, making up, uh, making things up. Okay. So, anyways, uh, uh, wisdom issue is somewhere between uh, a sin issue or a pre- preference issue, and so uh, the the simple fact is we all have a different understanding of the wisest course of action in any different situation, right? I mean, so I. I'm not going to be so prideful that I think that my um, that everything that I think and do, everything I think is the wisest thing to do is the wisest thing to do. I could be wrong. You know what I mean? I could be wrong. And I, I'm, I'm imperfect. I only have limited knowledge. I don't know everything like I should. And so uh, we need help. You know, uh, these are the kind of 
problems that we need to have discussion about and not dogmatic, angry uh, fights about. I mean, these are the kind of things we need to sit down and be able to calmly and rationally discuss in, in a clear-headed way. But not, I mean, we're not talking about confronting at that point. You're talking about hey, let's have a conversation about what's the wisest thing to do, not let's have an angry conversation about uh, uh, how sinful you are at that point. And so... We're, we're not commanded to confront preference issues. We're not commanded to confront wisdom issues. Uh, we're not commanded to confront differences in opinions, right? So, I mean, I, I think uh, uh, there's just so much, <laughs> there's so much freedom that we have in life to arrange our affairs and order our decisions. Uh, you know, what does it matter where I want to park, for instance, right? I mean, those are the kind of things that we typically fight over, like uh, the best parking place. Well, this is clearly a difference of an opinion. One person may want to get more exercise in their parking place than the other. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, the other person may want to reduce walking time. It's just a difference of opinion. We're not commanded to confront these things. Um, similarly, uh, we're not commanded to confront things we find personally offensive. So as I said in the beginning, our society uh, excels at taking offense uh, unfortunately, we typically take offense at all the wrong things. I mean, that's, that's a bit of an overstatement, but typically the things we find personally offensive, they're not scriptural sin issues. They're just uh, things that we don't like. We, and we need, we need to remember the Bible says it's a glory of a man to overlook an offense. And if you look through the scriptures, who are the people who are getting offended all the time? Like, think through the Gospels. Who's getting offended all the time? Pharisees, right? Are they, is their offense right? Are the things that they're offended about, are they right? Is it right for them to be offended because Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath? No. So what does Jesus need to do if he's confronted by someone who's telling him he shouldn't heal a person on the Sabbath? He says, I mean, is he supposed to ask forgiveness and, uh, you know, apologize in that situation? He doesn't do it. I mean, if he's supposed to, he doesn't do it. What he says is... Um, it's lawful to good, do good on the Sabbath. Uh, you know, if you have an animal who falls in a pit on the Sabbath, you'll go pick them up. And so what's your problem with me, basically? So uh, in general, um, one of the things that we need to think through is that we're not actually commanded to confront things we find personally offensive or hurtful. Uh, now, one of the things you can't do in our world is confront people's hurts or uh, confront people's offenses. It's seen as uh, rude. And so if you just think about the way the word hurt has... Um, uh, transformed. I mean, it used to be a verb. You know, we used to speak about hurt as a verb, but now we speak about hurts as nouns. And so we talk about our hurts. And so in these kind of situations, uh, if you speak about hurt as a noun, a person, place, or thing, that almost as if we feel oppressed by our hurts, right? We feel like they're these outside things that are oppressing us. And so it's very difficult at that point to analyze our hurt and say, is it is it right for us to be hurt in this situation? Why are we hurt in this situation? What's, what's causing this uh, hurt in this situation? And so, we, um, uh, and yet, I mean, as you look through the Bible, go to Genesis 3 real quick. Um, like, one of the things that we need to realize is that we express anger in different ways. And so, if you talk about the lesson last week, uh, some of us, you know, when we don't get what we want, we get loud and we get noisy and we get uh, offensive and maybe throw things or whatever else. So, uh, so we can get loud in that way. But then other, t you know, that's, that's, that, would, that would be uh, one way that you uh, express anger. And so oftentimes in the counseling world, you talk about 
blowing up to express your anger. But then there's also other ways that we express our anger. We call it clamming up, for instance. And so uh, if you look at the example of Cain, Cain's an example of a person who clams up. And so um, if you look at, um, let's see, I, to- I told you to turn to Genesis 3, but that wasn't right. It's Genesis 4. <laughs> so uh, um, basically, well, maybe it is. Okay, so... Um, uh, we have a situation where Cain doesn't offer the acceptable sacrifice before the Lord. And so uh, uh, we, we find that in uh, verse 8. And so, uh, or actually, just the beginning of, of the chapter. So um, we see that verse 2, uh, they, Adam and Eve, first they bore Cain, and then verse 2, they bore Abel. Now, uh, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain, now look at what the text says. So the Lord did not regard Cain's offering, and so the text says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. So what does that mean? He pouted, right? I mean, he got depressed. Cain got depressed. He started pouting. He was upset uh, at what the fact that his offering wasn't accepted, right? And so, um, in that way, uh, if, if you were to, if you had Cain come into you, uh, if you had Cain come into you for counseling or for help at that point, uh, one of the things that's going to be expected is that you're going to have to validate uh, Cain's offense here. Uh, and you're going to have to tell him that his offense is okay and it's all right and I understand it and everything else. But what does the Lord do in this situation? The Lord says, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Right? So the Lord has a category for looking at Cain and saying, the reason why you're upset is unrighteous, right? I mean, you're, you're upset for unrighteous reasons. So if you do well, Cain, will your offering not be accepted? So in other words, you're upset because I'm not accepting your offering, but I've told you what to do. And if you just do what I tell you to do, then I'll accept your offering. And so... Um, as it is, Cain, sin is crouching at his door. It's desire for you, but you must rule over it. And so I, I mention all that to say that uh, one of the things that we have to do is we have to analyze our offense. And we have to analyze our hurts. And sometimes it's unrighteous. You know, sometimes it's just we want what we want when we want it just like everyone else does. And instead of getting loud and angry when you don't give me what I want, I'm going to get hurt and I'm going to get upset and then I'm going to demand that you uh, give me exactly what I want. And and basically just ignore the lesson we had before in James 4, right? I mean, so basically just throw that out the window because I'm upset. Well, uh, the same thing is true um, in in any of these situations. And so that's not always the case, but sometimes we have to really just think through why are we we upset? why are you angry, Cain? I mean, just like the Lord does in that way. So what are we not commanded to confront? Well, things we're not commanded to confront are preference issues, wisdom issues, differences in, in opinion, or things that we find offensive, and we don't, we're not uh, commanded to confront these things. Now, does that mean that it's inappropriate in any of these categories to have a conversation about them? No. It doesn't mean it's inappropriate. It just means that we're not having a confrontation, restoration ca- uh, kind of discussion here. We're just having a conversation about what the wisest thing to do in this uh, situation is. We're just having a conversation about our difference of opinion about what parking space to pick, right? Um, You know, we're having um, a conversation about, uh, you did this and I found this offensive. Why did you do it? You know, uh, in the possibility there in that kind of situation is it could be that I'm offended for the wrong reasons. And so, or it could be that... uh, you were intentionally trying to provoke me, and you need to repent of that. And so, I mean, you know, in any of these kind of uh, situations, 
uh, we're, we're not commanded to confront any of these things, but we, it's okay to have a conversation about it, and we should be having a conversation about it this, uh, uh, and have, uh, uh, be able to have a discussion about any of these things. And so um, that being said, what are we commanded to confront? Well, we're commanded to confront specifically uh, sin issues. And so um, now think about this. I, I think it's important to remember that Typically, I mean, what is Satan's strategy in the world? Think about what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to get, I mean, his, uh, Satan's described as the prince of the power of the air, right? And so he's the spirit who's at work in the sons of disobedience. And so what does Satan want us to do? Well, he wants us to get focused on all the wrong things and then let all the right things go, right? And so uh, if, if someone offends you, for instance, uh, what, if someone does something that you find personally offensive, you're not going to have to have anyone, like, give you permission to go confront them. It's the sort of thing that rolls, out, rolls off the tongue, right? I mean, you feel inside of yourself, if you're offended, a moral mandate to go tell them how they hurt you and how they offended you. But then, what if you are in the presence of gossip? How do we respond to gossip, right? You can listen to gossip, and then, like, and then all of a sudden the sensitivity kicks in, and then, then all of a sudden what you're thinking at that point in time is, I know I need to confront this, and I don't know how to do this, and maybe I need to go write a letter about it first, or maybe I need to uh, pray about this before I say anything. Uh, and then uh, there's all this agonizing that happens, and all, all this agonizing that takes place in the situation that's clear sin. But then all the things that aren't clearly sin, immediately we feel the moral mandate to go and confront. And, and all, the, the point is that just think about what's wrong there. What's wrong there? I mean, how often, I mean... No one has to tell you to confront someone when you're offended, but then if it's something that's actual sin, clear sin, right there in the Bible, uh, this is wrong, all of a sudden then it's, it's so difficult to formulate the words about how to confront the person. And so uh, just just realize that I mean, that's, that's the state of affairs. That's where we're at. I mean, th- there's a reason why it's so difficult uh, to confront about the right things and so easy to confront about the wrong things. That's the point. There's a reason why that's the case. And so the reason why that's the case is because there's enormous societal pressure on us in part to uh, confront all the wrong things and all the right things to let him go. And so if you're the person who tells the boy that he's not a girl, right, you're considered rude and hateful, and then you have to like come up with a sensitive way of expressing this, and then there's all this ag- agonizing in that way. But that's an, that's an actual clear moral issue. So what are we commanded to confront? We're commanded to confront sin issues. And it's typically wise, you know, as we're confronting, if we're going to be confronting, you want to have a Bible verse, I mean, just confrontation one-on-one, have a Bible verse in your brain that you're thinking in terms of. So if you're going to confront something, you're going to ask someone to repent of something that they've done that's wrong, show them where it was wrong. Point in the Bible where it's wrong. And oftentimes that can be a helpful check. If I can't find anywhere in the Bible uh, this thing that I'm trying to confront you about, it could be because I'm confronting the wrong sort of thing. So... That being the case, with the last few minutes that we have, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some uh, ways to, con- assuming, assuming that we're confr- confronting clear sin, how do you do so without sinning? So first of all, be careful about judging motives. 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of the heart. And so one of the things that I don't have access to the motives of any person's heart. I don't know why people are doing what they're doing. 
I can only guess. I can only speculate. And most of the time, my speculation and my guessing is unhelpful. I mean, the better thing to do in that time is not to judge a person's motives. It's not to say, I know why you did that, and this is why you did that, and tell them. It's just to simply ask the question, why did you do that? And listen to their answer. Let them give you an answer, right? And so, I mean, um, we, we simply cannot judge motives. No matter how, how hard we think, we can't judge motives. I'll give you a situation with Gavin right now. Uh, every time we go to bed at night now, he uh, has to get up to pee three or four times uh, before bed. And so I can't, judge, I can't judge his motives. And so I know I can't judge his motives. And so what if, what if I get mad at him and I fuss at him because he's getting up again uh, and he actually had to use the bathroom again, right? I mean, so part of me taking this seriously is to say I can't judge his motives. And so... Uh, uh, you have to have a conversation, and sometimes it's hard, and that's where it's fuzzy at that age especially, but we can't judge the motives. Only God knows the secrets of the heart. We don't, we don't need to be, pretend like we're God. Uh, similarly, we need to be careful to think the best about others. So 1 Corinthians thirteen seven: love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this believing all things and hoping all things is believing the best about others, uh, thinking the best about others. And so instead of me putting all of your actions in the most unfavorable light possible. I'm going to be, if I love you, I'm going to be your defense attorney. I'm going to come up with all the possible ways that uh, uh, this could have been a good thing that you're doing, or I'm going to try to come up with the best motives that you have, and I'm going to come up with uh, as much as I possibly can, and I'm going, to, I'm going to work through that before I even talk to you, right? I'm going to think about this situation. You did something I didn't like. I'm going to think, well, maybe... What are some good reasons he could have done that? Or am I possibly misunderstanding what happened? Or is there ways that I'm, uh, you, know, you know, how can I put this in the most favorable light? Or maybe there's something, information I don't have access to. And so instead of just jumping immediately to the offense, at that point, I need to spend some time thinking the best about him and, and realizing that I can't judge his motives. And then when I have a conversation with him, instead of just jumping in to confront at that point, I may ask him, why did you do this? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about it, right? And so uh, part of what we want to do is be careful about judging motives and also think the best about other people. Similarly, we want to be careful with dealing with authority figures. And so I put um, on here, we have uh, just different types of authority relationships in the Bible. You have uh, young to old. Uh, so the text says, do not sharply rebuke an older man. So notice what it says. It doesn't say, do not rebuke an older man, but do not sharply rebuke an older man, uh, but appeal to him as a father and to younger men as brothers. And so, uh, you, you know, you think through as you're confronting. In diff- it doesn't say don't rebuke. It just says don't do it sharply. Similarly, wives to husbands, that's another authority relationship. Servants to masters. We'll be talking about that next week, I think. Um, and then, uh, well, next few weeks, uh, church members, church leaders. And so, um, you know, there's just all different kinds of authority relationships. Uh, think about Esther. You know, example in the Bible is ex- Esther coming before the king. When you come before the king, uh, you do so in a cautious and a careful way. You don't just come uh, angry and yelling because that's an authority relationship there that you need to respect. And so uh, be careful when dealing with authority figures. Be careful when dealing with unbelieving family members. And so uh, you can uh, think in terms of, this First um, Peter 3, 1, so likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wife. And so at a certain point, if you're uh, confronting the same thing over and over again, you may just realize that this person isn't bound by, uh, in their mind, by the scripture. And so at this, am I throwing pearls before swine here? You know, do I need to keep on having the same disagreement over and over and over again? They're not responsive to it. And so is there a point in time where you say, we've confronted it and... 
it seems like you're behaving more like an unbeliever than than a not believer uh, than a believer, and so just uh, it would be unprofitable there to throw pearls before swine. So be careful with unbelieving family members. Similarly, be careful about timing. So let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as word is good for edification, according to the need of the moment. That's what the NASB says. According to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. So. Um, if I had said something blasphemous or heretical, may not, now may not be the best time to tell me. Send me an email about it. Come talk to me. Uh, have a conversation with me about it afterwards. Uh, but, it, you know, if you just, like, is the need of the moment now to confront it? Probably not, right? And so, uh, you know, confront it later. <laughs> and I'm open to that, too. Uh, so uh, be careful about timing. And so you know, if you're at, just think, if you're out in public with people, um, you know, your family's hanging out with another family, in that moment, that's probably not a good time to confront things. You know, that doesn't mean don't talk about it, shelf it, ignore it. It just means just wait till you get home, you know. Think about, is this the need of the moment? Uh, Similarly, uh, be careful to confront in a God-centered way. So uh, as you're thinking through the context here, the Son of Man has not come to save, or the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So that's the Father's priorities. And so we want to align ourselves with the Father's priority, which is to uh, save the straying sheep. So um, in that way, if you go through the whole thing we talked about in James, uh, we talked about the importance of, uh, it says you do not have because you do not ask, and then you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss to spend it on your pleasures. And so you think in the moment of conflict, what do I want that I'm not getting? You pray and you ask God, if this is so important, Lord, will you please give it to me? And then uh, I don't want to just ask in a selfish way, though. I want to ask in a selfless way that's uh, about uh, the instead of just me getting what I want, I want the other person to ultimately uh, love you and serve you. And so when we confront, how often do we, say, do we confront in this way? Am I saying, you hurt my feelings, you offended me, you upset me, I'm so angry with you because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Well, that's all a very selfish way of confronting. Imagine if you were to change that to a God-centered way of confronting and saying, hey, I love you, I care about you, I want you to honor the Lord. And, and, uh, and um, I, I don't know that, this thing that you did honors the Lord, and I know that uh, I want you to please the Lord in all your ways, and so I'd ask that you consider whether or not that was uh, uh, the, the thing that you did displeased the Lord, and he's the person you've offended most. You know, you've offended God more than you've offended me, and I want you to have a right relationship with him, and so I want you to... Um, Fix that relationship with him. And so go ask his forgiveness. You need to ask his forgiveness because God's not pleased with what you did. And, and then, uh, you know, ask my forgiveness afterwards. But, you know, how often do we, is it all about us and when we confront and not about God at all and about what he, uh, what he desires? And so uh, ultimately, we're not just trying to exert our will in the world and have our kingdom come and our will be done. We want God's kingdom come and God's will to be done. And so when we're confronting, we need to be confronting in a God-centered way. What you did didn't please the Lord, and um, you need to be restored, first of all, to him. So um, be careful to avoid gossip and slander. So Matthew uh, 18, 15 to 20, the first step of church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone, right? Between you and him alone. So, I mean, 99% of church discipline should be personal confrontation that doesn't go beyond the person. So, I mean, it doesn't say go have a strategy session uh, with uh, four or five different people telling specifics about all the things that happened. And, uh, you know, it doesn't say go vent. Uh, You know, if your brother sins against you, go vent to your friend because uh, they're your friend and you just need someone to vent to. And just, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't say anything like that. It doesn't say, 
if your brother sins against you, go um, tell your small group all the awful things that was done uh, that happened to you. No, it says uh, if your brother sins against you, go tell him the, his fault between you and him alone. Because the desire is not to spread spread the discussion. The desire is to contain the discussion and to uh, keep it between people it needs to be. I mean, ultimately, the desire is to gain a brother, not to destroy a brother, not to make... Um, the whole situation with that brother is so awkward and so uncomfortable that you can never want to be around him again. And no one else does either because they all know what happened, right? So, I mean, ultimately, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So be careful to avoid gossip and slander. And finally, what we'll say is be careful to follow the biblical steps of confrontation. So uh, what we have here is that the uh, first step involves this personal confrontation. And notice what the second step involves. So uh, think through Matthew 18. Uh, you know, Lord willing, you know, we have a desire to be restored. It doesn't go beyond the first step. But then notice uh, the second step here. If he does not lick, listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you have two or three people coming to establish what you're saying is true. And so, I mean, obviously, this shouldn't be some like big long interrogation or something along the lines of uh, something like that. It just should be, um, uh, for instance, in an extreme example, a man cheats on his wife. I mean, you're not going there to uh, ultimately, I mean, the step is just about confirming that that happened, right? So, I mean, it's not just, it's not a big complicated step. I mean, I think there's some counseling that should happen and things that should go along with that. But ultimately what we're talking about is not bringing two, other, two or three other people to bash on the guy, Right? I mean, the Bible says the first pleaded their case seems right until another comes along to examine it. And so what you want to have happen is you want to have two or three people come along and confirm that we're all on the same page here. This did actually happen, and we're all in agreement here. And so uh, there's that sort of thing, too. So uh, the, se- the last step would be to take it to the church. And then uh, if they refuse to repent at that point, then you let them be to you a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, you're saying um, you're, saying you're a Christian, and then you're saying that you— you understand what the Bible says, and you're not going to obey it. You don't really care. So that that kind of attitude and that kind of stance is more characteristic of non-believers than it is believers. And so uh, we're going to uh, treat you in accordance with that. And so um, be careful to follow biblical steps of confrontation. So there's many other things that you can say about this passage. There's many other things you can say about conflict resolution in general. I probably have probably have 10 more lessons on the same subject. Can't do it all today, but uh, hopefully the, these two have been helpful. Uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, above all else, what we need to realize is that uh, God's more concerned about our hearts and us getting the log out of our own eye before we help fix our brother's eye. And, and when we do so, we need to do so in a careful way. So I'll go ahead and I'll close this with a word of prayer, and Kevin will be up afterwards. Lord, we just thank you for your scriptures and thank you for the opportunities that we had to discuss your word. Lord, we thank you for how practical your word can be in our life and just uh, the guidance that you've given us, Lord. And I pray that you help us as a congregation to seek to please you in all of our ways, Lord. I pray that you help us be a congregation that loves being peacemakers, Lord. I pray that you help us to be a congregation that uh, loves to be reconciled, Lord. I pray that you help us to be a congregation that has such a love for our brothers and sisters that we confront the right things and we confront well. And when we do, Lord, we're ready and 
uh, desirous of being restored, Lord, not just punishing people or telling them off, Lord, but that we desire to be restored to our brothers and sisters and have a, a right relationship. Uh, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, Lord. Uh, we know that our forgiveness of others is only founded on your forgiveness of us, Lord. And so we just thank you for what you've done. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.